You're listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. Today we have Will Davies, CEO and co-founder of Car Next Door, Australia's largest peer-to-peer car sharing network. Hey, Will. Thanks for joining us. How are you going, guys? Excellent. So you've built a, a very big startup in Australia. So tell us, what do, you, what do you do outside of working inside your startup Well, in all your free time? Yeah. I, uh, when I started Car Next Door, which was 2013, we got it going. I, was, I had no kids and now I've got three. I've got three boys uh, aged three, six and eight. And so they take up a lot of time. I go to, I do, I do uh, yoga and Pilates because my back's a bit stuffed. I play Oztag, a bit of touch football, and I ride my pushy around. Yeah, right. So do some of what? So do you do actually any work? What do you? That's not very much. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a few hours a week. Um, No, I think I do a little bit of work. Yeah, Yeah, very good. (laughs) And you managed to get on uh, uh, Shark Tank in the uh, in the early days. How was that for the business? Uh, That was a really interesting experience. So we got on Shark Tank when we were about two years in. I think it was two thousand and fifteen, and. What we thought would happen was that most of the businesses on Shark Tank, they might be running at a valuation of you know, 400000 or something like that. We, we were our value, we just raised money at $6 million pre-money valuation. And so I was thinking, oh, no, they're probably all going to say no, but we'll get some good PR out of it. Yeah. Uh, and what ended up happening was Steve Baxter said yes, and the PR effect from the show was actually pretty minor, but, but Steve's been a great investor, so... We got, we got the opposite of what we wanted. We thought we'd get PR and no investor. We got a good investor and uh, the PR was not that great. Yeah, right. And so would, would, you, would you do it again? Would you recommend it to other, other startups? I would recommend it as long as they make you the goodie, which is what happened to us. So we were like the heroes of that episode. They tend to have one hero, one villain and one battler. And if you're the villain or the battler – then it's not going to help you at all. It's it could be quite detracting. Yeah, um, right. But as long as as long as you think that you've got the good chance of being the hero, which is very hard to objectively um, know, then I think you should go on it. Yeah, awesome. So, will Carnext Door's grown to a sizable fleet today? How many vehicles do you have on the on the platform today? And what's what's the big vision for the business? Uh, so we've got uh, three and a half thousand vehicles on the on the platform now, which is it's. The number of vehicles has gone up fairly dramatically in the last in the last twelve months. So I think we're sitting about two thousand this this time last year. I guess the 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 place we're trying to get to the business is is by twenty twenty three uh, we'll have eleven or twelve thousand vehicles on the platform. Um, we think that we've really only scratched the surface at the moment. We've got got these three three and a half thousand vehicles, about one hundred and fifty thousand borrowers. We do around about. We facilitate about 18,000 trips a month at the moment, and but we think that there is so much more in the market. We're really only in the inner cities of, of a few of Australia's bigger cities. We can ex- extend out more into the into the suburbs and also set it, we're setting up a regional service at the moment as well. So Very exciting. And so mobility is a hot topic, you know, generally. There's lots of talk of driverless vehicles, electric vehicles, bikes, um, electric scooters, who knows, flying cars maybe one day. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your view on mobility and um, what's it going to look like in our lifetimes? Well, just to, where we're at now is in a world where 
nearly everyone owns their own car that they drive themselves and that car sits around for 96% of the time doing nothing. Uh, so just inefficient and expensive. And I think in another five to 30 years, and, the, and, the, and I've, I've deliberately set a really broad time span because that's the whole issue. No one knows when this is going to happen. But in five to, five to 30 years, we're going to be in a world where, where there is you press a button on your phone and an autonomous robo-taxi comes and picks you up and takes you where you want to go. You get out, it goes and picks the next person up. So they're going to be shared autonomous vehicles. So we're on a journey from the current world, own your own car, drive it yourself, to this shared autonomous world. And yeah, we just don't know how long it's going to take because of technology and, and regulatory stuff that happens. So what we're trying to do at Car Next Door is, is get really, really good at sharing and build up a really big network of, of mobility as a service users with the technology that's available today, which is car sharing. Uh, and then as that world progresses, we want to be ready to be able to capture that. Yeah, excellent. Sounds, uh, sounds very exciting. And so you've managed to pick up some, some really big brand names and, and also some, some big sort of individual investors, including Steve Baxter, Hyundai, and uh, also Caltex. And so how, how did you manage to, to and get... And Suncorp. And Suncorp now. Excellent. How did you manage to, to get those um, big brands on board? Look, I think it's very business specific. Fundamentally, that 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 future that I just told the place where we are now with you know where people are, what people are doing with their cars now and this future, we're not that's that's not just stuff I've made up. That's a there is a lot of people in a lot of big businesses that believe that that's the case and if that is the case it's going to threaten their whole business model in a world where there's robo taxis picking everyone up people aren't driving buying cars that's a big threat for 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 a car manufacturer yeah. and so i guess what i've done is i've reached out to what i what i think are the right parties who are going to be really interested in this and are, and are going to see the potential changes to their business model and look to work with them yeah, okay. uh, and so it's it's quite a natural fit. So, yeah, it it hasn't been us needing to push super hard. It's been a very mutual thing to want to work together to try to end up in it with a position that's a lot closer to where the world's moving. Yeah, okay. So, like as a specific example, like take Hyundai. You just email them, and like, how did you how did you get there? Yeah, it's it's good. I like I like giving specific examples. So, uh, Hyundai, I got onto LinkedIn and found out that I think I think. A banker that I knew ended up they they had some sort of leasing arrangement with Hyundai, and so either they introduced me or I just got onto LinkedIn. Actually, I think they might have banker banker introduced me, or I sent him an introduction to Ford on, and he was farting around not doing it. And in the meantime, I jumped on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, COO of Hyundai, we should have a chat." And he wrote back and caught up with him. Yeah, right. I think before the banker got around to it, right. so. The network wasn't that handy, but LinkedIn was really good. Yeah, excellent. So it's amazing. Like if you get the right person and you are direct enough with that initial approach, it's no use being vague. It's like, yeah. you know, I think that there's big opportunity for us to work together and here's why. They're going to get a lot of emails like that. But if, if yours makes sense and you've got credibility behind what you're doing, then uh, I think that you've got a good chance of people responding. Yeah, excellent. And with Suncorp, was it something similar? Uh, so Suncorp, I we've got a bunch of insurance things that we're always trying to do. Like, so we're actually trying to 
make it so that Suncorp and other brands, if, if, if someone who's got a Suncorp owned Amy, for example, we had a problem where if someone was insured with Amy and they say, hey, I want to put my car on car next door, Amy would go, no, we're not, we, we, we need to cancel your insurance entirely, even if we're going to cover the damage on car next door. That, that was their thing. So I got in contact with this guy from Suncorp to help get that and then uh, get that sorted out, which they did, and so have all the other insurers. But then through the conversation, when we were capital raising, I said, hey, you know, here's where I think the world's moving to in mobility. I think there's, a, there's potential for that to threaten insurance for cars. Uh, so should we have a chat? And you know that's where that's where it got to from there. Excellent. Yeah. And so I think it's it's about being really clear on what your theme is and what, what what's the reason that they would want to. How how are you? If you don't fit into their corporate objective, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So it's trying to work out if you do or not, and then targeting those people that you do. Yeah. Okay. If you've got an app like that makes someone's face look like a potato. I don't think Suncorp's going to work. <laughs> it's not probably worthwhile reaching out to Suncorp or Hyundai. They might not insure you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, h- how long do those sort of processes take that when you run through the corporate process to, to, to invest in your business? Well, I think it's very case by case. But with Hyundai, for example, I would have reached out to them in May of 2017, had the had the first reach out, um, we were doing our capital raise and we closed that capital raise in December 2017 and they hadn't, it was too fast for them to be able to do it. And so we actually, they ended up coming on board June 2018. So that was a, a year and a month yeah, okay. before that, before from introduction to that happening. So it's a very long cycle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Suncorp was a bit quicker. They were able to sort of fit in with our current raise so, you know, it's not always going to be like that, but it just depends on where you sit on people's priorities. Yeah, right. And what, what tips would you give to other founders in sort of looking at uh, getting a corporate involved as an investor? One of, one of the things that I think is really important is typically with individual financial investors or just high net worths that, that get in, they are going to own a, a fairly small stake on an individual basis usually and there's a high level of alignment between you and them Typically, like unless you've got some really funny clauses. So you, you're not going to be that likely to need to rely on the shareholder agreement very much. However, when you have a corporate involved who might have a very big stake, like we've got, we've got two, two corporates that you know, have 15-ish percent each, uh, it's a very meaningful material stake and your and other financial investors' interests might not necessarily be aligned with theirs. And so you need to be a lot more careful to make sure that your shareholder agreement is really up to scratch and is going to leave you with, you know, a fair position and and, and the ability to be able to get your way out of these things. So I'd suggest a very good lawyer uh, who's had experience with corporate investors before would be one of the fundamental things. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great advice. And so you've raised a fair bit of capital to date. Uh, how much uh, have, you, have you raised to date? Around about 24 million bucks. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it is. Like I would have – if we could have done it without raising any capital, that would be even better. But I think it's – the thing with capital raising, A, you need the money to keep on building the business. But the other thing that I do like about capital raising is it forces you to – like really forces you to think hard about what you're doing and, and get 
get everything lined up and in order, which I think would be difficult to to do that with the same amount of discipline if you weren't trying to get yeah. money out of people. And the other thing that I think is really good with capital raising is each time you do a capital raise, I think it's a very good way of validating your 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 idea because it's very easy for me to think, oh, this is a great idea, but can I actually convince people to part with their hard-earned money to to also agree that it's a good idea? And if you can, it's kind of that it gives some external validation that you're on the right track. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Not that all money is smart, but yeah. but you know, yeah. yeah. I've kind of looked at each capital raising round as all right, if I can raise the capital, I'll do everything I can to raise the capital. And if I can raise it, I'll we'll keep going. And if I can't raise it, then, you know, maybe the idea was crap. Yeah. And what what tips or steps would you give or recommend to a founder who's sort of starting out sort of at the early days in thinking about sort of raising capital? I've got quite a few. I did, I've got a little talk on that, which I won't give you the full full details of because <laughs> it'll be boring. But um, I think one of the things that, that – well, there's this really good ebook called Pitching Hacks, which you can – if you just Google Pitching Hacks, then I think it's 10 bucks, and it's really, really good step-by-step how to do your first capital raise, including what to put in the pitch deck and ha- how the whole process is. But – one of the things that that I can mention that I mention here is it talks about you should start working on what your network is like. Start building your network straight away. So with Door, what I did was when I first launched the business, I wasn't looking for money because I put in the first chunk myself, put in the first two hundred and fifty gram myself. But when we when we launched the business, I started collecting people who you know just basically wealthy people I know knew or or people who knew wealthy people and started, I called them my future investors list and I started sending them an update about what we're doing every two months. And when, by the time I went to raise capital, I'd already communicated with those people four or five times and they can sort of see the journey, see that we've been, see how we've been overcoming problems, seeing what we've been doing. And uh, it's much easier to get capital of people who are familiar with what you're doing rather than, you know, just reaching out whenever you need money. And so I've kept that up actually. So I think we're on investor report and future investor report number 65 or something since we started. Yeah, right. And I quite often get told that I'm, I'm better at keeping my non-investors up to date with what Car Next Door is doing than a lot of their companies that they've actually invested in. And it really gives them the shits that, they put this money in and the founder's not keeping them updated. Like it's very rude to yeah, yeah. take 500 grand or so on and then, you know, not speak to them until you need more money. Yes. I mean, it's just dumb, yeah. but so many people do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's probably, that's probably a, a key thing that I'd, I'd suggest. Yeah, awesome. Great. So shifting gears a little bit, Will, thanks for that. So culture is critical to the success of any business. And from my observations, I, I sit in the office next door to Will, um, you've got a great culture there at, at Car Next Door. Um, how have you managed to achieve that? And, and just um, to give the audience a bit of a sense of scale, how many people do you have now across your business? So we've got 50 people in Australia and 50 people in the Philippines. Again, I don't sort of judge the success of a business by the number of people you've got because, you know, that can be sometimes because of inefficiency, which I think we, we, we struggle from uh, a bit. 
as far as the culture goes, we haven't actually touched. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to do a little intro blurb about what Car Next Door actually does or not. But um, go for it. I'll, I'll do my little. I'll do my little blurb. So we, we are a peer-to-peer car sharing platform. That means basically the premise is that most Australians have a car sitting around doing nothing for about 96% of the time. They only use their car for 4% of the time. So we've got a platform so that we put some equipment in that owner's car, they set their price and availability, and then a borrower, we vet borrowers carefully on the way in, they search for cars near them, uh, they find you know, your car, book it, get into the car using our system, drive it, drop it back, we charge the borrower, take a cart and pay the owner. That's the, that's the business. So... To go back to the culture, the reason that I set up Car Next Door was I, I actually had a mortgage-breaking business and as I, I started that when I was 21, by the time I got to about 28, I firmly believed that humans are causing massive damage to the environment in many ways, but the worst way is uh, through, through carbon emissions and made the decision that I wanted to focus all of my energy on, on business energy on reducing carbon emissions. And so I couldn't work out how mortgage broking was going to be doing that. And uh, so I sold the mortgage broking business and then went hunting for a business that I thought would be a successful business, but also be reducing carbon emissions. So our primary goal with Car Next Door is, is to have a big impact on lowering car, carbon emissions. So we're, that's, that's, our, that's our purpose. And when you've got a purpose like that, we found that it really helps attracting good good people who also resonate with that purpose. And so a big part of our culture is, you know, this is what we're about. And I think that, I mean, if you've got a different culture, which is, all right, we're, we're going to make, you know, everyone in this business is going to be made a, bill, a millionaire or, you know, we're all going to earn a big bonus or something like that, a money culture, it's going to be a very different type of culture to what we've got. So I, I think having a real why at the centre of what we're doing is, is a, a huge part of our culture. Yeah, amazing. And um, so what hasn't worked so well in terms of culture? What are some of the mistakes that you've made over the years um, that you can share? I'm really shit at remembering mistakes. I actually need to start making a uh, sort of a mistake log so that I've, I've got a witty you know, <laughs> answer ready to go with this. Some of the – well, one mistake that we've made is not paying close enough attention early enough to our – marketing spend on certain things so let's just take google sem for example so paid google advertising you typically with with the ads you 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 might do a test with any with any advertising you do a test and you go shit that's that's working so i'm gonna i'm gonna scale it up and so then you scale it up and and you scale it up and up and 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 at some point and then it's kind of on autopilot and you've got your marketing manager just doing it and then at some point you something triggers you to take a really solid look at it and you go, geez, we're actually, you know, we think that we're getting customers for 30 bucks a customer, but in, in matter of fact, when you really look at the numbers, it's actually 140 bucks a customer and we're, we're losing money out of this. And we've, we've now spent 100,000 bucks more than we needed to before we found that out. So I think potentially you guys are a lot better at, uh, at avoiding that than me, but, but you know, Having systems and processes in place so that you're deeply checking these things much earlier, I think, is really important. And having a, a schedule for taking a deep dive into different marketing things that you're doing, that would have saved us a good chunk of money over, over time. Yeah, sure. Is, is, one, is one. There's plenty of others, I'm sure. 
And um, sticking with scaling the business, so what have been some of the most effective ways that you've scaled the business? Maybe some different ways that you know we may not consider to be obvious. Well, I think that the scaling the business at different levels, at, at you know, different stages of the business, it's about choosing the right marketing strategy for that stage. So when we first launched Car Next Door, we decided not to launch Australia-wide, not even to launch Sydney-wide, but we launched Bondi-wide. So the idea was let's see if we can get this working in Bondi because people – if you want to borrow a car, you only really care, and you live in Bondi, you only really care if there's cars in Bondi. So can we create a network in Bondi and test that and then use that to validate what we're doing and get more money? So as we're trying to scale out Bondi, our marketing strategies at that time were let's only let's not let's not worry about anything else that's not Bondi. So we got ourselves in the Wentworth Courier, that's the local paper. We did letterbox dropping. We went to the Bondi farmers markets. That was, that, was, that was what worked then. But then we're not going to consider any of that stuff anymore as we're trying to sort of scale out to the whole of Australia now. The, the, the main things that are working for us now is SEO. So we've got, we've, we're spending a lot of time and effort on SEO. If you look at us for most of the key searches like car rental, Randwick, or we're right up there for all of that sort of stuff. So SEO, SEM, Facebook, more scalable sort of options are where we're at at the moment. But each, but the, the, the thing that hasn't changed is we do a small-scale test and we see if we can get any traction on it. If we do get the kind of traction that we want, we scale it out a bit. And if it's still working, we, we scale it out, you know, the whole way. And then it goes into our system, like what I said before with our mistake, it goes into our system where it gets checked thoroughly every three months to make sure it's still working so that's yeah and, and we've done that from the start small little test if it works build it up it's just different as you grow that's great thank you for sharing right. and so there must have been some hairy moments as the the business has grown can you can you share one of those with us and sort of how you how you got through that one that comes to mind in the early in the first year so we we launched 2013 we got about 40 cars on in Bondi and we had about 600 borrowers. And so it was, it was kind of working, you know. We are turning over $19,000 a month or something that felt really, really solid at the time. And I went out to raise capital, but I had to get my head around how to – I'd never raised capital before, so I was trying to work out how to do that. And that whole process took – I thought it was going to take one or two months and in the end it took sort of nine or ten months to get the, to get the money in. And through that process, I kind of worked out, all right, we're actually going to run out of cash in, it was, let's say it was December, we're going to run out of cash in February unless we take some drastic action. And I guess what I, what I did that's probably a bit different to what some people would have done is I, I, I told the team, I shared the financials with the team even though they were looking really dire. And because I'd been sharing the financials and the situation, everyone knew we were going to come run out of cash at this date. It wasn't a big surprise. It wasn't like, it, you know, we got to January and it's like, oh, we've got, we got 20 days left. Because I'd been sharing that, we, we basically decided right, for the next four months until this capital raise, where you guys happy to switch your, your cash for equity? Uh, and everyone in the team did. And uh, we were able to, you know, stretch our runway out to September. And that was, that was well enough time for us to raise the capital. So... 
I think just um, I've never I've never had an issue in the whole whatever it is eight years now of Carnex Door where by being very transparent and telling the team pretty much everything that that hasn't been of benefit. Yeah, no, right. And it's certainly never hit me in the face. It's never it's never come back and become a problem because I've spoken, yeah, told the team too much. So I think I think the often people just think, oh, you know, everyone should be just needs to know basis. I don't want to worry the team with the financial stuff. But I think if you share it, everyone buys in and it's a much better way to operate. Yeah, excellent. And I think from an investor's point of view, seeing that you've got a whole bunch of people that are prepared to work for nothing for a period of time, mm. replacement for equity is um, pretty valuable. Yeah, I don't even know if we marketed it that well at the time. <laughs> we might have thought that that was a negative to the investors, but but yeah, looking in hindsight, that would have been a great yeah, thing to tell people. Absolutely. And so, what are the the key sort of KPIs that do you look at um, on a daily basis or a monthly basis? Uh, the one that I think every business has got like a just a number that seems to work for them. And so for us, it's it's like trips per week is the that's the thing that I get excited about and that. I'm constantly looking at, and that's the that's the one number. I guess you could you could look at revenue per week. There's a whole bunch of numbers you could look at, but but that's the number for us that that uh, we kind of focus on yeah. a fair bit. Yeah. But and look, how look, how often do you look at it? Oh, it, it'd be we've got this thing so I can kind of compare how we're doing on Wednesday this week with how we're doing this time last week on Wednesday. And so I'll look at that one just to see if we're, you know, a bit ahead or a bit behind. Probably five or six times a week or something like that. Yeah. Like it used to be five or six times a day, but you, I think as you, as things get a bit older, you, you let go of certain yeah, yeah. obsessions. <laughs> but then as the business gets bigger and more complex and there's more things, there's a whole bunch of different stats that you've got to look at and, and different people in your team have got to look at. So we've got a system in our business where there's – we've got – we use a system called Looker, which is a – helps you pull all the analytics and put a bunch of graphs up so you can – everyone on the team can see that. Uh, and then secondly, we've got this KPIs sheet. It's just a big, long Google sheet. And every 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 division in the business has their particular stats that they're looking at. So – one stat that the customer service team is looking at is how many people have had to wait for longer than, you know, five minutes. And if that number gets too big, then we know we've got a problem. Now, I'm not going to be looking at that number, but our head of customer service definitely needs to be looking at that and making sure that making sure that they're on it. So, yeah, the, the, I think that a business, once you get to a certain scale, or maybe if our number of people, we've probably got 100 different or 150 different stats that we're looking at. I'm sure yours is the same. Yeah, yeah. And then you just cascade it down. So there's certain stats that the whole team look at and then there's certain stats that each division looks at. Yeah, I'm, the other one that I'm really interested in is is how much revenue is coming through a month. But you kind of only know that by the end of the month. So, Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Will, what's the best piece of advice you've been given along your journey so far? Well, one interesting one, this probably goes into another mistake that we made but you know it's always easy to say mistakes in hindsight so we decided to set up a business called ride next door so we already had car next door but we had ride next door which was a shuttle we, we, it was going to be a mixture between an uber and a, and a and a bus so it was a fixed route but you could book a seat in advance and you could see where the the bus was coming and and just jump onto it and so we set up this spent about 150 grand building this app 
that that ran the whole thing. We we leased a little minibus that that was doing laps basically down from Bondi Beach to to Bondi Junction, and so we had we got it got it all ready, and then we we started off doing a free trial, and what happened was even with a free trial, we did it for six or seven weeks. We tried to make them so these buses were really frequent, you know, a bus every three or four minutes. We couldn't even get people to use it for free. We let a box drop the crap out of the whole area. It just turned out that it's just not a product that people wanted. Or what was happening is people would use it, but only in that in that really small peak hour period. So for, they'd use it from maybe 7.30 till 8.30. That was the and we were trying to run this thing from six till nine, all the assumptions that I'd made were saying that it was, um, that you know, as long as we could have 70% occupancy from six till nine, we'd be good. What ended up happening, we had zero occupancy from six till 7.30, 80% occupancy from 7.30 to 8.30, and then nothing from 8.30 to nine or whatever, whatever the numbers were. So basically just wasn't feasible. And the reason it was a mistake is because, I think that we could have found, we could have known that there was this really narrow window of opportunity and and I wasn't going to get the six till nine business. I think I could have known that had I been more open to it at the time. But that's not the question you asked. The question you asked was about uh, the advice. And I, what I did when, when I was looking to do this, I, you know, obviously we had big chats with the board, but I went and um, spent an hour or so with Steve Baxter and, and some of his team just on this topic. And what Steve Baxter said was, mate, do you really want to be in the busing business? Like, do you really want to be busing people around? Is that, you know? And I was like, yeah, I do. And, um, but, you know, what he was saying is you don't want to get into the bus business and I think that that was a very good piece of advice that I didn't take. <laughs> the benefit of hindsight. Well, but even like, you know, like when I say, when I, I often think about that, yeah, do I want to be in the business of busing people around? No. Like it's... I don't know. But maybe, I, yeah, you're right. Maybe I just don't like to do that because it didn't work out. At the end of the day, we were just a bus, a fancy bus. and A bus with an app. A bus with an app. And we just didn't have enough points of difference. And, it, yeah. Will, so um, what's next for Car Next Door? You know, looking five years down the track, what, is, what does it all look like? Well, I guess, as I mentioned before, we think we've got big opportunity to substantially grow. Like we, we think that we're about 10% of the size we can get to over the next three or four years. We think we can really ramp up the growth. So just a big chunk of it is growth by expanding geographically and by getting denser in the, in the places we're already in. We've launched a new model where it's a little bit more, instead of us putting the equipment in each car, we just connect the owner and the borrower uh, through our app and they just hand over the keys themselves. So it's a bit more friction when you do a trip because you don't just have the keys all there, but it means that we don't have to put all this money into each car. So that means that we can offer the service in a lot broader locations than we could otherwise. So that's that's a big thing that we're working on. And then the rest of it is just is just growth, which I mentioned before, and also working very hard to reduce our 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 costs, you know, so we spend money on 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 damage as it happens on customer service, and we think that we've got a lot of room that we can help get a lot more efficient in those areas. Fantastic. 
Well, thanks for joining us on Founders On Air today, Will. You've been very generous with your time and um, sharing lots of great learnings with us, um, the good, the bad and the ugly, so to speak. So um, next week on Founders On Air, we're mixing it up a bit. We've got David Leslie from Elliston Ventures, an experienced VC. So we look forward to hearing the perspective of uh, the other side of the table next week. So uh, it's bye for now from Founders On Air. You've been listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.